Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 227 of Final Fantasy Union. I'm your host, Daryl, and I'm here with Lauren. Hi, guys. How are we doing today, Lauren? Good. It's interesting, though, because like um, Kingdom Hearts Union have just passed their 200th episode, and it's interesting to think that like I it was probably around episode 27 or so, I think, when I joined Kingdom Hearts Union and stuff. It must have been, yeah. Like, it's just weird to think, like, how long things have gone on for. And, yeah, but it's it's quite a, an amazing milestone for Kingdom Hearts Union, especially. I mean, they must have been going for around 11 years now, right? Because that started yeah. in 2009. Yeah, something like that. Maybe yeah. in 2008. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably around that time. Yeah, it was definitely... Uh, Definitely at that time, but I just, I can't remember whether it was 2008 or 2009. Mm. All I remember is that I went on the TGS episode. Yeah. I think that was one of the only times red... I ever went on Kingdom Hearts Union. Yeah, read to filth. I did, even though I was correct. Although I, um, my first episode of Kingdom Hearts Union was, of course, the first one. And um, I sound like I inhaled a tank of helium. And um, I recorded it actually in Lauren McFadden's bedroom. You shared a microphone as well, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We shared a microphone. It's like, oh, I'd like to talk now, please. Can I have the microphone? I know. We just have to be like... We did the same though, didn't we? Like when I used to come over and visit you, I think we had to record some podcasts using the same microphone, didn't we? Possibly. Possibly. I did that over my handy dandy life chat. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's weird to think about how long ago that was, but that's our trip down memory lane at the start of this episode. You know, I think it's nice. It's nice nice to revisit. The uh, the main topic of this episode, though, is going to be looking to the future because there has been a load of information released about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I think it was released on the day that the last episode released. They are always so convenient with their timings. So, yeah, we've had to wait two weeks to talk about it, but we will do now. So thank you for your patience yeah. in that. Before so there's we do, Square though, Enix. Before we do, uh, there was something else that happened. We're not going to talk about it in the main episode, but I do want to talk about Crystal Chronicles mm. because it was revealed that there will be no local multiplayer. Which is really strange. I don't know why they made that decision, but like, eh. I mean, you can just play with a Switch or I think a mobile phone. There is like a way that you can actually still play local player without actually playing. Yeah, they, it seems as though their solution player. around it is a lot more complicated, whereby mm. there's Crystal Chronicles Lite Edition. Yeah. And if someone buys Crystal Chronicles Main Edition, then the people that have the Lite version, which is free, can then play through the entire game by joining the game of someone who has the full game. Yeah. That is a very convoluted experience. You just really think they must like be ruining some sales for them because surely some people are just going to be like, well, I don't have to yeah, buy only, the game now. If you're playing with uh, three friends, only one person needs to buy the game. Yeah. Everyone else can play Kingdom uh, Crystal Chronicles Lite. <laughs> Everybody King- else can just be a Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts you know? Lite. It's probably going to come out Kingdom Hearts Lite. Well, you have um, Dark Road now. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's not light. That's Kingdom Hearts Dark. I know. Mm. Which means that a Kingdom <gasps> Hearts Light will come out at some point. Oh, my goodness. Kingdom Hearts Light Passage. I just love how they always have to use the word light for these kind of things. Like, low fat. It's the it's the Diet Coke version of the and game. It's also spelled L-I-T-E, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, the, it's just the thing that they have to do now. Just like, it's free. So it's light. I feel as though they had released a light version of something else beforehand as well. Oh, yeah. They've, was, it tri- they was there a, a Trials of, of Mana light edition? 
I'm not sure. There was something, but obviously it wasn't anywhere near like this experience. Well, they have Nintendo Switch Lite. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the light Nintendo Switch is because it's less fattening. It just you know it doesn't hang on your hips and stuff. So yeah, that's uh, that's that quick out update out of the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Crystal Chronicles. A bit bummed out about the local multiplayer, but yeah, if you do happen to have multiple systems that you can play, then yeah, it still seems okay. It should be fine. Yeah. I mean, it'll be fine for us. No but, idea yeah. how it's going to work on mobile. No, it's going to be strange, but I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Anyway. Before we get on to our 7 Remake stuff, it's now time to do our shout-outs for executive producers who are supporting us on Patreon. Yay! And we're going to start with Chris Morales. Michael Graham. Barry Norton at Nortron Zero. Theron Bullen at Massacre 23. Fayez Bilal. Louis James. Zach Duranto. Rachel Casterton at Irby Unray. Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels. Darren Matthews at Doomster 73. Joseph Robertson at Pokemon Trainer J. Ryzen. Alex and Rachel Troutman at Akira Namejin. Billy Jackson at underscore Billy Jackson. Miles Ribbons. Chris Pope at Dr. Pop 181. Freya Stella. Flip Sirdnus. Tom Hughes at Tom underscore Hughes 22. Yam Potato. Noah Luttrell. Mitch Elliott. Sam Ennis. Tim Michael Verne at Phoenix02SA. Joshua Johnson. Lauren Luscombe. Chris Willis. And Marco Lilu. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, guys. So yeah, as mentioned, there was an extensive interview that came out in Famitsu. I think it, I mean, I, I, I may be overestimating here, but I think it was between 14 and 22 pages long, this, this mm. segment. And they interviewed pretty much like all the core staff. So there was Tetsuya Nomura, Yoshinori Kitaze, Naoki Hamaguchi, Motomo Toriyama, Noboru Umatsu, Kazushige Nojima, and then they had Makoto Issei and Keiji Kawamori, I think. So Kawamori is the supervisor of music. I can't remember what Issei is. I think he may be um, an art person or a sound effects person. Sorry, uh, Makoto Issei, for that. Um, He's very offended. um, uh, A couple of weeks before, there was also another interview that was published in the West where the Hollywood Reporter, randomly enough, (laughs) got to interview uh, Kitaze and Hamaguchi. And there was a ton of information divulged. And we're going to try and split this up into different segments. Uh, so we're going to look first at stuff that is interesting to note about the production. Then we're going to be looking at the future. And mm. this is also, this is all very apt because one of the quotes that Kitaze said throughout the whole thing is that the story of the new Final Fantasy VII has only just begun. Who knows what they have in store for us at this mm. point? I don't think they even know what they have in store for us at this point. No. And what's really interesting is one of the first tidbits that came out where Famitsu asked Kitaze, and I think they asked the same questions to roughly all of them to see how they would answer. But the question related to how much was changed, how much they wanted to change, was there a lot of... Uh, um, conflict between the older generation of staffers who worked on the original game and the new staffers who perhaps didn't play it or, or played it before, like when they were teenagers. And it turns out that Kitaze was one of the main people trying to rustle feathers and like, <laughs> yeah, we've got to make some big changes because he, I guess the whole thing is that he made the original game and most of the other guys they made the original game yeah and they didn't want to just make the same game again and as he said that they wanted to keep it close but they didn't want to keep it the same because they felt as though if they'd kept it the same then they would have been riding too much on nostalgia 
and the seven remake would have basically just lost its meaning like if they didn't if they weren't able to provide something that made people talk about it in mm. a new sense then it would have just kind of fizzled out mm. and that i guess that was his his main concern which is why they did the things they did because they were the discussion points they were the reasons why people carried on talking about the game after release and are still talking about the game after release no one really cares about like oh look at how faithful that scene was compared to the original Mm. it's so cool the only thing i have seen is where people are making references between um scenes in in the seven remake and previous scenes that were perhaps not thought about so Mm. For example, uh, Kitase said that he worked on the scene right at the end of the game where Tifa saves Cloud. And he put that in there as a connection back to the point earlier in the original seven where she couldn't save Cloud from falling um, into the lower plate. Mm. And there was a scene, um, someone's pulled some screenshots up of Reed, uh, Reed, Reed and Reno. And they're in very similar positions to Cloud and Tifa. Mm-hmm. in advent children when they were having their serious conversation mm. so they use the same camera angles to represent the fact it's a serious conversation scene yeah no that's really cool i mean he's got a point we we have talked about it like people have made an opinion on what how they feel about the remake and how they feel about what has changed and there's been countless amounts of things just like discussed made um opinions on but it's hard because like i i'm i won't begin so let me think about this for a second okay so metal gear solid right that had a remake right it was the twin snakes yes yeah that one wasn't too dissimilar from the original was it no the story was pretty much identical but the cutscenes were changed to make them more modern. And it mm. also had the gameplay that was similar to Metal Gear Solid 2. Was it well received? It was It was well received, but I don't think it was a commercial success. Mm. I think it did okay. Because mm. like, that's kind of what I anticipated with the Final Fantasy VII Remake was that style of thing where it's just like the game, but like finessed and made modern. I mean, yeah, regardless if you want to, regardless if you agree with it or not, it did work in the sense that they got people talking about the game well after its release and stuff. Unfortunately, even when a game is really, really good, the fact that people stop talking about it so soon after release can be really damaging, especially when you consider the fact that like, this game has a ton more games to go, possibly. They need people to want to buy the next part because otherwise there's just no point in continuing. Exactly. And we've seen with Square Enix games before, even when it's like they're, well, I guess Final Fantasy 13 is the best example. The drop off in sales to Lightning Returns was was catastrophic. I think it Lightning Returns sold maybe like 15% of the original game, yeah. which is so low. And for reference here, just to go back, apparently the Twin Snakes sold about 72,000 copies in Japan mm-hmm. compared to um, Metal, Gear, uh, Metal Gear 1, 2, and 3, which each sold a million. Jeez. So like, yeah. It only sold 72,000. Yeah. 
I don't know about the the sales outside of of Japan, but you know there it's that's it's, pretty insane. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 not a game like Shadow of the Colossus where they can remake it, make it look gorgeous, and have everybody like freak out about it, and then it's done. It's it's a series. It's a franchise that they've committed themselves to, and so for that. I think Taze was really smart to make that decision. I think the team was really smart to make that decision. But like, do I like it? Like, I'm still, I'm still like, I'm excited to see where it goes. I have that bit of like disappointment still because it's not necessarily, it didn't go the way that I like kind of hoped or kind of knew it would. But I'm taking the bait. I'm really curious about what they're doing, and if it's as people as like people have theorized, and it's actually part of the compilation in the sense that it's like essentially like the fifth game in the series. That interests me. That makes me curious. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things is that、uh, Katase wanted to make even more extreme changes、mm. because of that notion, and it was kill、uh, off Aerith right、yeah. in the beginning, gone. And it was、uh, Nomura who. Who was in a similar role with the original game? We we covered in our recent facts video that Kitaze and Najima wanted to kill off most of the playable cast. Yeah, by the end, they of the just want to they just want to、yeah. press the death they, button. They only wanted to have three characters left alive, and it would be your decision who those characters were. And here, Kitaze wanted to make extreme changes, especially as development progressed further.、Um, and there were other members of the original staff who were who were similar. And Nomura was having to say like, no. We're not doing that. Okay,、yeah. just chill out. He's、um, like that guy in that mem video ages ago, where the guy's just like slapping everybody at the party.、Yeah. Like everybody's making suggestions, and Nabora's just in the middle, going, Psh, "No, no." <laughs> yep. It's quite interesting though, because yeah, they said that the other thing was that yeah, because the original staff members had didn't want to make the same game again, they were keen to make quite extreme changes. But I think the the consensus was this was that it was going to be the other way round、mm. that they were going to want to keep it as faithful as possible. And the new staff members who perhaps hadn't played the game before or played it as a kid, they were the ones that were going to bring new things to the table and really push boundaries.、Mm. But actually, it turned out that because the game meant so much to them as players,、mm-hmm. none of them wanted to change anything. I know they wanted to keep it as close as possible because they knew. What the players would be thinking when they play the remake again, and like it, it was just like this really nice mix, I think.、Mm. And I feel as though, I mean, it's hard to tell now because we don't know how it's going to pan out. But it feels as though they did strike a nice balance because I'd say that eighty-five to ninety percent of the game is very faithful to the original. Yeah, that last ten percent is pretty crazy. And there are nice little things they put in there, like the fact that they included characters from the compilation, like that that weren't in the original game. And yeah, some of it was unnecessary filler, but I think on the whole, it was a very good experience. Yeah, I feel like it was a solid game, and I mean, I think the set pieces were really cool. I'm like freaking. You know, it, it it was a great thing to be going through Wall Market.、Um, the atmosphere just felt so on point, and、um, I I really really enjoyed myself playing that game. And actually, like even now, I'm kind of feeling like, do I want to play through it again? Like I kind of want to revisit it to just see if there was anything that I missed because there are so many small details in there that 
I might have missed. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like that, people have pulled out so many of those things. Like、mm. the one where you know when Aerith meets Cloud、mm-hmm. mysteriously. <clears throat> the way they animated that scene was a callback to Cloud in te- the for-、uh, the forest、mm. in the original game.、Mm-hmm. So it was like a, a merger of two sequences, which was really cool. But I think yeah, like it's just there's there's so much good about the game, and I think they they. Completed their objective of getting people excited about it.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, they antagonized a couple of people with the ending, but I think that time will soften.、Mm-hmm. And by the time the second game comes out and they see the plan, I feel as though most of those people will kind of come around. It's like the Left 4 Dead 2 scenario where people got really angry about how soon they were releasing it and they didn't think it was worthy of a second game. There was that、yeah. whole boycott Left 4 Dead group, and then there was that screenshot where everyone. In that boycott, Left 4 Dead group was playing Left 4 Dead 2 <laughs> when it released. It、Boom. was great. Yeah.、Um, but yeah. So the other cool stuff that they pulled out was that、um, I, I th- this is more more one for me because I don't think if too many people care. But、um, when the soundtrack was released, there's like I don't know twenty plus people that worked on it. But Uematsu was listed against quite a lot of the tracks,、mm-hmm. and he basically said in the interview, well, Kitase said in the interview that Uematsu's main focus was just working on Hollow,、mm-hmm. and Uematsu said it was the first piece of music he's ever composed on guitar, which was interesting.、Mm. But basically, that despite all the credits that are attributed to him in the soundtrack, he wasn't involved in that soundtrack at all. Yeah, and it, they just entrusted the composers who worked on it because they had a strong connection with the brand. So, I think it's that the credits in there are just because he wrote the original version. Yeah, and maybe he supervised a little bit. I don't know because I feel as though there are some original tracks that, but then it's hard. Like there may be like a, a small element of the track that isn't a, that that. Um, pays homage to an original track, and therefore it's an arrangement. But then that's the thing, right? Like it's really unfair to the people who actually did rearrange it for them not to have more recognition for what they did. I know it's probably them not wanting to confuse players because they they there was such a huge campaign、um, for Nobui Matsu to be the composer again, and there were so many people freaking out because. Uh, they were thinking that Uematsu was not going to be composing anything again, but like now that it's all said and done, like you know, the people who did work on it deserve a lot more recognition than just being put behind like Nobu Uematsu on Spotify. Yeah, and I know there is a lot of fear factor around these things, and and we had also felt the same way about it because we weren't too sure how the soundtrack was going to turn out.、Mm. And I know that I've spoken in past episodes about my reservations around it. I feel as though they could have done a bit better with with some things, but production wise, it's fantastic. And throughout the soundtrack, there are some amazing pieces of music. It's just, a, I guess, from my perspective, it's just overwhelming. There's、mm. eight discs worth of music, yeah, and some of those pieces of music are used for two minutes、yeah. in the entire game. You hear、yeah. them once and they're gone. You never hear them again. So it's really hard to get some kind of connection with them. And you know some of the boss fights kind of blend into one because they're they're all based on two tracks essentially. So yeah, like, but I feel as though moving forward, if they said that Uematsu wasn't involved in the next soundtrack, I I don't feel as though people would mind too much because、mm. they have the confidence in this one. Do you think they'll have a new theme each game? I think so. Yeah, I think it would be smart for them to include Uematsu in that way and、mm. keep the keep the narrative going that、yeah. he's still involved, guys. Yeah, but just having just do the hanging theme out、song. in the corner. Yeah, I think that would be cool. And like, I mean, there's so many there's so many songs that we still haven't heard yet. Like, I mean, we haven't even heard Aerith's theme yet. 
you know, like it's well, just it's been crazy. arrangements of it. Arrangements of it, but you know, it's not the it's not the actual. It's not the gorgeous version that you hear when all things go bad. All things go bad. All things go bad. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like it's those it's those kind of tracks we haven't heard Sid's theme or Yuffie's theme. Like there's so many so many songs still to come, and I'm really excited to hear them. I mean. I guess on, on that note, because obviously in the first one, we had two arrangements of the main theme. Like, what's the actual main theme going to sound like? Because it played kind of prematurely. So, yeah, yeah that's going to be like, how are they going to top that? How are they going to do another arrangement of it? Like, there's so many things that they've got to try and top, like Genova. Yeah, yeah, They've got Genova. to do multiple versions of that theme that they've got to try and top again. Yeah. And, like, how are they going to top that climax in the one yeah. that was in the 7 remake? Which yeah. Was, which was great. Yeah. I know, it's going to be extreme. The other fun thing that came out of the interview was Toriyama. So we all know that Toriyama is a bit of a uh, a, a jovial person. He's, he's quite quite a bit of an oddball. Has he, his turtleneck sweaters. He, he has his quirks. And he said that one of, the most, one of the most interesting things that he's done is he's been trying to see how many things people can find mm. that they put in there. And one of the things he noted is that, yeah, like people, he's been impressed with people looking at all the posters, the billboards, even the train time schedules in the station to to kind of get an, a handle on how people live their lives. Mm. But he said the thing that's highlighted to him most is that he just needs to do a better job next time around because by looking at all the stuff that people have pulled out, he's noticed that he probably could have done a better job. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just like, yeah. I think it was really cool I put all these things in there, but they've just highlighted the flaws I have. Oh, So it's going to be like, I mean, there was so much detail in this one, like nods back to the past. It's going to be crazy if he's going to up the ante mm. in the next one. Yeah. Like, what's going to be shown within part two and part three? Oh, I don't even know. I I mean, what is he going to do now? He doesn't have his naked ladies to like have fun with anymore. That's true. And I think, you know, we talked about it before that... Midgar was kind of his segment mm -hmm. within the original game so it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out in the future but I, know. I you know it, it was cool that both he and uh Toriyama sorry him and uh Nojima spent a long time they basically like fine tooth combed every every line they didn't write every line but they mm -hmm. approved pretty much every single line in the game I mean it's it's thinking about what the set pieces are going to be in the next in the next bit I mean you know are they even going to have uh what's it called again? The um I always call it the eagle the eagle bit with the Fort egg. Condor. Fort Condor, yeah. Like are they gonna have Fort Condor again? Um how are they gonna do that? <laughs> I feel as though they have to. Because I know. It's like th those kind of things are like the cross dressing scene. Mm. They are quintessential parts of the game. Not mandatory. Mm mm. And completely random but if those things aren't in there people are going to be quite confused it's like also like you know the the cpr mini game in, mm. in junan i feel as though that's something they could skip but then if it's in there it's quite cool i almost feel like they could they could potentially make it like a linear experience but not linear experience um by like Sort of how they did with the junk piles in Midgar, they could make it with like hedges in the main world. So like you're still visiting, you're still in the overworld, you're still able to visit like the Chocobo Ranch and stuff. It's just that they're 
over on this path over here and like um for condors over here but straight ahead is something else like i yeah, think that I, would probably be the way to do it i feel to say that's what they're gonna have to do like yeah. small um small worlds essentially yeah. that are connected through tunnels but it will be i mean granted you don't you don't actually go back to midgar yeah you don't go back to midgar do you um you just kind of leave and that's it but yeah i mean it will be interesting to see what they let you go back to well they have said that trying to make the go- the game open world that they're trying to make the the world map essentially as visually stunning mm. and to make the experience as like overwhelming as possible but because they had that ambition with midgar and they feel as though they achieved it but now midgar is a small thing they have mm-hmm. to up the ante even more and i guess that comes down to to the future like what's what's going to be coming in and like one of the things that they've said is that the compilation is going to play a bigger part mm-hmm. um nomura said that uh, nomura said that one of the main objectives that he and nojima had when they were going into this project was to include the compilation as much as possible yeah. but only where it made sense for them to do so and that's why um, they pulled out the specific example of kyrie marie and leslie who featured in within this part because it made sense within the narrative and also why they had the name drop for Kunsel as well. Like mm-hmm. they, they've they tried to do it in soft and subtle ways. Yeah. But it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out in the future because we're going out into the world now. Yeah. So it kind of opens the door for, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to include anything from Before Crisis, but all of the Turks who were featured in Before Crisis dispersed after the defeat of jade weapon yeah and zirconade so they're all living out in the world somewhere maybe like that could be a nice little nod to people who have played before crisis that there are kind of these shady people around mm. and maybe there's some side quests with them yeah i mean you know you also have like cisne like what is her real name are we actually going to figure out her real well, name tabit is gone now so ah uh, well knows? maybe they could just phone line them be like okay <laughs> up what do you think it is please um but yeah um no it should be it should be really cool and i kind of hope that they do connect more of the dots between before crisis and this game since obviously there's a lot with the the calm incident like if they're going to actually play more on the fact that calm is a bit creepy and like I see so many times people people do guides on youtube where they are like how to skip calm in your playthrough and stuff like how to physically like not have to go through calm and it's just so crazy because you think like there's so much history in calm just from that well it's one of the things that's quite interesting because you know we put that in our recent facts video as well about Mm. the calm incident i don't think many people are aware that there is a calm incident Mm -hmm. and it's because when people go to calm they don't talk to anyone yeah they just go straight to where they need to go to and they get straight out because it's kind of a nondescript town. But all the people in the town are really creepy. Yeah. And when you talk when you talk to them, you wonder why that is. But it was never explained within the original game. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they're going to try and connect the dots there as well because they're going to have to have those people behaving that way in the remake, mm-hmm. I would have thought. But again, if they don't have the context... There, yeah. may, there has to be something that explains what happened or I want, I mean, I wonder how they're going to do it. 
And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, the compilation is very expansive. There's so many characters in Crisis Core before Crisis, Dirge of Cerberus as well. And they are around somewhere doing something. Yeah. Characters like Shalua. Um, yeah, you've got Console who, who could be around. There's even Vice and Nero from Dirge of Cerberus are, are around because we saw them at the end of Crisis Core take away Genesis's Genesis's <laughs> Genesai body. Um, so yeah, there's there's so many people that could be around doing things, and you know, even like smaller towns like Modeoheim, mm. um, and there's probably going to be a bigger focus on Gongaga at some point. It's quite cool. Yeah. the The next thing was the whispers. Mm. So these were an element introduced in the remake that obviously were not in the original, and they were created by Nojima. And they were created to be tangible things. Like they, it, he kind of skirted over the answer because he didn't want to talk about too much uh, Nomura. Um, but he said that while he can't say anything about them at this point, in the in the Japanese version, apparently they had a different name. <laughs> so in the West they're called whispers, but in the Japanese version they're called feelers. <laughs> and he said that there was a very specific reason why they were called feelers in the japanese version because Mm. they are this tangible thing they're like physical things that you can touch but he wouldn't explain why it was changed for the western version Mm. he just said people should uh pay attention to them in the future because yeah the name feelers is very intentional Mm. so that was a bit weird yeah toriyama also and this is going to be spoiler free toriyama also noted that with the ending people should really pay attention to Stamp. Mm. It's a different dog breed, mm-hmm. but he didn't, again, say why. Mm-hmm. So they're being really cryptic about things, yeah. which of they're trying to stoke conversation still and confirm things. And if they get asked questions, they're going to continue rolling up the same answers of just pay attention. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know what we're paying attention to specifically, other than the fact no. it's different. No, and like, how long are we going to have to pay attention for I have a short attention span already. Yeah. They also noted um, that there were a lot of people, they know there were a lot of people who were disappointed that Red 13 was not playable Mm. within this part, but they ultimately had to make the decision they did. But they suggested that people look forward to the next installment. I guess, like, the thing is, is though, like, he would have only been playable for like a very, very, very small portion of the game. Like it would have been so microscopic. How would you even like get him level? Well, I ask, how would you get them leveled up? Like you people have your ways of like grinding. Well, I mean, I guess because of the way they did the remake, it actually probably wouldn't have been too hard because it's mm. like a set thing, isn't it? You yeah. can't really grind in the remake. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like, I, I wasn't that disappointed because I know, like, I'm going to play him in another part. Like, and, if it's not now, it's going to be later. And it was enough to figure out how to play the characters you had. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I barely used Aerith in my first playthrough of the game. If they'd given me Red 13, I would have just been like, okay, great. And just like, another he wouldn't person. have had any weapons. He wouldn't have had his, uh, like, limit breaks and stuff because you wouldn't have had the process of getting them. He wouldn't have had any abilities. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't have really worked for the yeah. short space of time you had him. Yeah. But yeah, he's basically going to be playable in the next part, which I think was kind of assumed. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that sounds really cool. And I hope that, yeah, we'll get 
um, we might get two other playable characters. That would be nice. Yeah, it's just who they're going to be. That's the real question because my my gut is that it's going to be Red 13 and Kate Sith mm. as the two focal points. They're the characters that they showed off yeah. in this version. And then I feel as though they might be cheeky and have Sephiroth as one of the playable characters, but he could also be like Red 13. Mm. So it's kind of a because he's he was temporarily playable during yeah, the first part of the, the Final Fantasy Seven when Cloud's a little weak. The calm. He's just like, oh, I'm level seven, young Cloud. Yeah, the calm incident. And what's that going to be like as well? Like that that snake is going to be creepy. Yep. Um, and then uh, I feel as though there may be another character who's playable mm. that Toriyama was was hinting at with the uh, the dog. Mm-hmm. stamp um and that would be he would be the third playable character so yeah. there will be three new playable characters and then maybe to try and balance things out like cloud uh barrett Aerith, and tifa may not be with your party the whole time mm. so that again it's because like having the four characters in um the first part was was a nice nice balance you yeah. had three with you at all times and generally there was one that was off doing yeah. doing their own thing it was only at the end where they came together but again you didn't really get to choose mm-hmm. who you got to play as um i feel as though they're probably going to do a similar thing in the next one yeah because they can't assume that people have played the first part they've got to somehow make it so that people can pick up part two without having to play part one and have it not be confusing and that goes for gameplay too, which is probably going to be spruced up. Yeah. As well. Yeah, which I'm excited for. Um, I really loved the gameplay in this. I thought it was really, really, really the best that they could probably have done with with uh, what they were trying to do. They just had such a nice balance with mm. the traditional ATB and making it action. Mm. It was it was just really fun. And then of course we also have the summons. We don't know what summons are coming. Yep. It's gonna be low there's still so many more that they have not used. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool interview. Like I don't know oh, what there's to still make. One point left, oh, Lauren. I just, I don't know what to make of the the feelers whispers because like the only thing that I can think of is the fact that like whenever they touch Whenever they touch Aerith, she forgets. Well, they've also said that anyone that's around Aerith can also see them. Mm. But then there are some instances where people can see them without that. And so, like, you know, we're not going to get to the yeah. spoilers here. It's, uh, we're going to have to wait and see, basically, yeah. with that as to how that's going to pan out. And I don't think that, I mean, they may divulge it in the next part, but they've got to save some stuff up for the future as well. Yeah, it's true. Um, and I'll let you last... do the last one, Lauren. Come on, because I know you're incredibly excited uh, to talk part. about it. I mean, um, yeah, so Roche, Roche will be coming back. He'll have more of a role to play going forward. Um, but it was apparently meant to be an end boss in uh, the Midgar Highway, yeah, which would so have they, been interesting. They, they basically wanted to have Roche as a more integrated character. Mm. Um they were well the, originally they said that they wanted to have him as like the end boss of the the first bike sequence which he, which he kind of was but then they decided to have him as a, a boss again bring him back but then they wanted to bring him back again and the Midgar highway was the segment that would make the most sense because it's bikes yeah 
but they felt as though it would just completely ruin the mood. Yeah. It's like, oh, Which yeah, we've just escaped. Now we're fighting against um, whatever it's called, motorball or something. And um, now you got to fight Roche. Mm-hmm. Great, great. They also said they considered putting him in Chapter 14 at the end of like the slum segment, but they couldn't figure out how to work a bike in. <laughs> so he just kind of fizzled out. But yeah. I think, yeah, they've said that the plan is to integrate him more heavily into the next part because they, I don't know why, but they feel as though he's like really a really nice foil for Cloud. To be honest, he feels a lot like what they were planning for Yuffie. Because when Yuffie was originally planned for the game, she was going to be a bit more like this, like a bit more like a, a soldier um, from Shinra, wasn't she? And she was going to keep turning up. and um, But she was going to be different depending on what, what things you found, what posters you found or something. Yeah, like really weird mechanics. Um, but it almost kind of feels like he's that type of character. He's just, he's really quirky and Yeah, he just weird. appears. You don't really know why. <laughs> you don't really know what he's doing, but he seems to have got... It's like I'm playing uh, Yakuza Kiwami at the moment, and it's... Um, I feel like they're trying to build your relationship with him, because yeah, I think it's, it's he's going to be... Yeah, well, yeah. But he's going to be someone who you care about later, who may meet some kind of demise maybe or or just will help you in the future because he does like help cloud in um in the remake yeah he's like this kind of rogue soldier yeah yeah like i guess the whole thing is he's that character that pushes cloud a little bit out of his Mm. comfort zone yeah but he shouldn't really be able to because he's a third class yeah anyway But Roche is coming back. Yeah, he's gonna probably More be Roche back for everyone. Yay. Yeah, woo. And then I guess the last thing is is the timelines. So mm-hmm. uh, Nomura finished it off by saying that we know everyone wants the next installment to be released quickly, and we want to deliver it as soon as possible. We want to make the next installment even better in terms of quality, and we will convey the direction when we are officially when we are able to officially announce what comes next. Mm-hmm. There's a very very vague answer where he doesn't actually say anything. Mm. but the only thing is that they're going to try and make it as fast as possible. I was thinking on this note, though, that we still haven't had a patch mm-hmm. or an update of any kind after almost four months. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that that is happening because they are trying to plow ahead with this part two as much as possible. And they decided that okay, we got the game into a good enough state. There's No one's really found any game-breaking bugs or anything like that. There's, there's mm-hmm. glitches that uh, people can skip entire segments of the game and you can go out of bounds and stuff. But I feel as though they're not, they're not big enough issues. Mm-hmm. They're not game-breaking. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ruin anyone's experience. You have to search these things out and find them. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they've just kind of said, like, we're just going to leave that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had any DLC planned. Maybe it's been canned and they're just trying to go full steam ahead on the remake part two so that they don't, so that doesn't get delayed. Like it's much more important that remake part two releases as quickly as possible. than they pump out some crappy DLC mm-hmm. that wasn't really going to add any value to anything, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I've, if that is what they're doing, then I would wholeheartedly get behind that because everyone knows my feelings about DLC. Yeah, I agree. I, I think 
considering like how little time that they've probably had to work on things, it's probably in their best interest to focus on what's most important. But yeah, as for when, who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they haven't spoken about it at the PlayStation event so far, but there's still plenty of time to talk about it between now and the PlayStation 5's launch as to what's coming next. Yeah. But I don't feel as though we're going to hear anything significant until next year. This interview was kind of timed to the point where conversation is starting to die down mm-hmm. around the 7 remake and this has helped to bring it back up again. Everyone ate this up. Yeah. Because they've been desperate to learn more. <laughs> yeah. And... Just like, by the way, we're still here. The fact that it was like a 22-page interview just shows how much Square wanted to get the attention back. But they didn't really say that much. Mm-hmm. But it didn't seem to matter. People just wanted something. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to do periodic things like, you know, maybe there's going to be one more something FF7 remake related between now and the end of the year, whether that is the announcement that there's going to be like a, a visual upgrade for mm. PlayStation 5 owners. Um, that would be like something just to, just to tie things over until they're ready to talk about part two in an official capacity. Yeah. That would, that would be smart in my opinion, but you know, I'm not Square Enix's marketing team. So, But Square Enix still listen to our podcast, it seems like. Because so they always do a thing know. to undermine us. You never know. But yeah, so that's that's pretty much it for the discussion this episode. Yeah. Lots of stuff in store for the seven remake and it's gonna be it's gonna be getting wild. <laughs> Jessica Wild. Jessica Wild. Jessica Wild. Yes. But yeah, no, I mean I'm really excited. I'm it's hard because I know it's so far in advance. I know that like I have to just put it out of my mind, but not put it out of my mind. Cause obviously I am one part of a Final Fantasy crew, but like, yeah, yeah. I reckon it's uh, my estimation is still twenty twenty two for the next part, mm. and I'm gonna stick with that until they tell me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna tie yourself to a tree and yeah. say no. But yeah, uh, thanks uh, for everyone for listening to the discussion. The next episode of Final Fantasy Union is going to come out on the eighteenth of August, twenty twenty. I don't know why I said 2020, but it's going to be out then in 2020, not 2022. No. It's going to be on the eve of Crystal Chronicles. I feel as though there's going to be one more podcast before Crystal Chronicles comes out, but let me just check that to see if I am correct. I am not correct. (gasps) You're not correct. It will be the last podcast before Crystal Chronicles releases. So maybe we'll do a Crystal Chronicles special. Mm. It'd be a one-sided conversation though, because you haven't played Crystal Chronicles. And I can just be the, like, sort of You can just ask me unknowing. questions about it. Yeah, yeah. The unknowing. But yeah, um, until then, feel free to check out our podcast archive on finalfantasyunion.com. And remember, if you enjoy what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FFKHUnion. And with that, it's time for us to say goodbye. Bye, everyone. And I'm Daryl saying goodbye. This has been a finalfantasyunion.com production. <laughs>